good morning, church family. Welcome to worship. Let me extend my uh, greeting to all of you that are in the room, church family and guests, to that of uh, Pastor Moore and uh, Pastor Roberto a moment ago. How many of you know uh, that we serve a holy, holy God? Amen? Amen? Let's give them a hand. I love that. I wish I spoke Spanish more fluently. I always say that I comprende mucho and I hablo poquito. Um, but just hearing that worship, that blended up, smashed up worship from Pastor Be Becker and Pastor Moore and uh, Hilberto's leadership is incredible. We've got 19 different countries represented here every Sunday worshiping in this room at 2 p.m. 19 different countries from around the world, nearly 2,000 in worship weekly. And today... They're going to be celebrating with a huge fiesta down in the student ministry building after they finish worship at 2 o'clock with foods from all of those different 19 different uh, countries and just a great time of fellowship and celebrating what only God has done and can do at Prestwood Espanol. Amen? Amen? They're going to celebrate it. So uh, if you don't have lunch plans and you can wait all the way till 3.30 or 4, just uh, stumble over there. I think true, you and I will probably do that later, buddy. But I love, I love to hear it. Santo, santo, santo. He is holy, holy, holy. And today, I want to talk to you, church family, about just one verse of the Bible. And before I give it to you, I want you to know it's many, many, very well known. Many of you have memorized it. Many of you know it by heart. And we will return to it this morning as part of our Distinctives in Discipleship series. It's a topic of temptation. And any of us, if we're going to be disciples who walk worthy of the calling that Christ has placed on our lives, we've got to fight and, and win in the area of temptation. It's 1 Corinthians 10, 13. So take your copy of the Bible, uh, maybe your tablet, your phone, and turn with me there to 1 Corinthians 10, 13 and read it along with me. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Here's what I'm going to do in this message this morning. I'm going to unpack the truth of this verse in three simple statements. And then I'm going to give you three points of application as we battle temptation together. So with God's help, I want to ask and answer two questions. What does this verse mean, and how can we apply it to our lives today? But before we get going too far, I brought along a list uh, that I just found of common temptations uh, that all of us are aware of or that some of us even struggle with. Not an exhaustive list, but just something for you to begin to ask right now in this moment, the Holy Spirit to search your heart. In preaching and teaching God's word, you can explain a text, you can prove a text, but today, this is all about application. There's not one of us in here that's immune to temptation. We all face temptation. We all know it. We, it happens regularly, daily, hourly. And so I want you, right now, in a moment, as you look at this list, to ask the Holy Spirit to begin searching your heart. Even Jesus was tempted. Hebrews 4.15 tells us that we do not have a high priest 
who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was, w- yet was without sin. Jesus was without sin. Temptation is not sin. It's giving in to the sin. And so I want that thing, that challenge, that difficulty, that burr in your saddle that you're struggling with to be on your heart and on your mind as we explore this passage and we fight this battle together today. I really kind of feel like in a message like this, it's kind of like my own little living room. I'm inviting you all in and we're just gonna have a family chat about something that's very serious and that we all deal with. It's a conversation that I've had with my own children. And so as I pray and ask the Lord to anoint this time and move in our midst, be asking the Lord to bring to your heart, what is it? What is that struggle? And let's fight well today. Let's pray together. God, I love you, and I thank you for your word that is life to us. And I pray, Holy Spirit of God, that you would anoint uh, this message and that you would do what only you can do in the lives of your children to make us more like your son Jesus, in whose name we pray. And all of God's children said, amen. Amen. So three simple truths from 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Temptation, you can expect it, you can escape it, and you can endure it. Everybody just repeat those after me. Everybody say expect it, escape it, and endure it. There's not a man or a woman in this auditorium watching online anywhere around the world that is immune to temptation. So just expect it. Number one, that's the first thing that I think God wants to see, wants us to see this morning, that temptation can be expected. Don't be surprised. There's no red or blue Neo Matrix pill that you can take that's just going to remove temptation from your life. In fact, if you're sitting there in a pew today and you're just thinking, I'll be glad when I'm not tempted, you might as well be saying, I'll be glad when I'm dead. All right? Because that's when temptation stops in our lives. Whether you're 8, 18, 48, or 88, you're in the flesh. And those temptations may change shape over the course of your life, but it'll never, ever fully cease to exist. When I was 21 and a senior at SMU, and and God began to lay out the truth of his word, and, and I began to take seriously what it meant to walk with God and to have a relationship with God, the temptations were different than when I'm 31 and I'm a young dad and I've got a husband and two small kids and I'm praying and I'm begging God just for patience on a daily basis. I'm praying for strength. Uh, I'm praying, God, don't let me give in to temptation. And even when I'm 51 with today, two kids in college and two here this morning and I'm still praying, Lord God, when temptation comes, help me make the right choice by the power of your spirit. The temptation is not a sin, giving in to that temptation. Lord, help me to honor you. Help me to glorify you with all the members of my body. So I realize, number one, from this verse in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that I can expect to be tempted at every stage of my life, just as you can, brothers and sisters in Christ. The second thing I think God wants us to see from this text is that you can escape it. Everybody say, escape it. God will never put you in a situation where you have to sin. 
That's not who he is. That's not his nature. We choose to sin. We choose to give in. And the pressure may be enormous. It may feel overwhelming. But look at me. Put your eyes on me right now. This would be the moment when I'm in my living room and I would lean forward in my chair and I would start to look straight into the eyes of Jackson and Julia and Audrey and I would true it. And I'd say, look at your daddy's eyes right now. God always provides an escape. When temptation, when sin is crouching at your door, your heavenly father will provide a way of escape. It's right there in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. He'll make a way out. You don't have to sin. You don't have to go down that road. He always provides. He knows your heart. He knows your passions. He knows your deepest longings. He knows and he cares. Hold on. There's some of you that came in this morning and you're dealing with some really, really heavy temptation. Listen to God's word this morning. Listen to the spirit of God in your heart. Hold on. Hold on. Don't give in. Don't give up. Sooner or later, a way out will surface. Don't take the bait. You can expect to be tempted. You can escape temptation. And then the last thing that God's word teaches us here, just a simple truth, you can endure it. Everybody say endure it. Endure. The way of escape, the way out, it will not remove the temptation. He puts you in a position, God will put you in a position where you'll be able to endure any and every temptation that comes your way. The reality is we're humans, we're broken, and we live in a fallen world. And so the reality is we may be tempted over and over and over again. But knowing that he will provide a way of escape, he will provide a way out, we can stand up under it. We can endure it. We don't have to choose to go down that path of sin and brokenness and rebellion. Stay in a posture of humility and dependence and surrender, and you can endure any and every temptation. God promises to give us grace and strength when we resist. No one ever has to sin. You know, the little adage, the devil made me do it, that's a lie. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Satan has no volitional authority in your life or in my life, in the life of a believer. That's a lie. So three simple truths that you can take away from 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Temptation. You can expect it. It happens to us all. You can escape it. He's going to provide a way out. And you can endure it. You can stand up under it. Be encouraged this morning. And then uh, three simple. Now for our application. Here's where this gets real. I mean, you're listening. You're sitting there online or in the room, and you're saying, okay, great, I understand that, Pastor Shivers. I've dealt with temptation for a long time. So have I. How does this become practical and real in my life? How do I fight and how do I win? Well, I'm glad you asked. We're going to win the battle, and here are three points of action and application. They'll be on the screens here for you. Memorize the word, march in formation, and then make a joyful noise. These are three action points that will allow us to live victoriously as we battle temptation. And I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that uh, this Christian life that we live, it's not a playground. We got to look at it 
with a warfare mentality and know that it's a battleground, that there are spiritual forces that are fighting, that are waging war against you and against me. And we've got to be intentional and deliberate. This is a call to action today. We don't win the battle with temptation, John, passively and, and, and on our heels. We don't win the battle with temptation on the couch with a bag of Fritos and bean dip. That's not how we win the battle with temptation. We gotta get in a posture of intentional, deliberate action. Look, I'm more, of a, uh, I'm more of an offensive guy. I like to score, I like to put the ball in the basket, but defensively, if I was gonna get into a defensive posture, I'd have to get my feet a little bit wider than my shoulders. I'd have to drop my backside a little bit, and I'd have to get balanced. I'd have to get my hands up ready to defend another uh, oncoming offensive player, and I'd have to get my head on a swivel. I'd have to see everything. we got to adopt a posture of intentional, deliberate action. And the first thing that I believe God wants us to do this morning in winning and overcoming temptation is to memorize the Word. we got to memorize God's Word. This was how Jesus overcame temptation. In Matthew chapter 4, when Satan came at him, And Psalm 119, verse 11, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Sin is no laughingstock, it's no joke, it's no punchline or anything to be played with. Uh, The holiness of God calls us out and it calls us up in this relationship with him. So we've got to hide God's word in our heart. Ephesians 6, Another familiar passage, the armor of God. Paul says the spiritual uh, offensive weapon that we fight with is the word of God. It's the word of God, memorizing the word of God. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is God-breathed. It's useful in teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good Work. When Satan is whispering lies in my ear, how do I combat those with the truth of God's word if I haven't hidden it in my heart? If I haven't spent time meditating, reading, a daily discipline of hiding and taking God's word and ingesting it into my heart and my soul and then walking it out in obedience. Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 15, 16, when your words came, O Lord, I ate them and they were my heart's delight for I bear your name, O Lord God Almighty. Memorizing the word of God, I believe it's the number one indicator of success and progress in the life of a believer memorizing, studying daily in God's word. Hebrews 4, 12, and 13 says that the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow, judges the thoughts and attitudes of our heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. He knows the temptation you're going through. He knows the temptation that's beset you. And he wants to help you. He wants to walk alongside you. Jesus fought and battled, and he overcame the evil one every time he he responded to Satan. It is written, it is written, it is written. It was Jesus's methodology. It should be ours. That's why we started this Distinctives of Discipleship series with 
two weeks just about the word of God, the inerrancy, the infallibility, the power of God's word in the life of a believer. So my challenge for you this morning, memorize it, pray and ask God. Pray and ask God, deepen in me, Heavenly Father, a love and a hunger and a thirst for your word. So number one, if we're going to overcome temptation, we've got to memorize uh, the word. Number two, we've got to march in formation. Everybody say that after me, march in formation. So we're going to memorize the word and we're going to march in formation. I don't know what kind of image jumps into your head when you say march in formation, but for me, it's, it's a military, it's, it's a battle, it's a regiment. It's, it's walking in to a fight, marching in formation with a battalion of soldiers, with other brothers and sisters that I'm locking shields with, that are like-minded, that have my same heart attitude. And I'm gonna march with them into this battle every day. That's why at a, at a at a church like Prestonwood, we have a Bible fellowship ministry where we want to connect you in community with other brothers and sisters in Christ. We were built, listen to me, we were built, we were hardwired for relationships. You are a relational being. You have a soul inside of you that God sent his one and only son, it's sinful and broken, to die for that soul so you could connect, number one, relationally with him right here on the vertical plane. And number two, you're supposed to connect horizontally, relationally, with other brothers and sisters in Christ. There's no such thing as a lone ranger Christians. We all need a tanto in our life. You do and I do. We need one another. No one flourishes in isolation. You're not the best version of you isolated and alone. To the contrary, that is when you're the most vulnerable. That's when the enemy attacks. Look at these verses from the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 12, 15. The way of the fool seems right to him, but a wise man listens to advice. Looking at the word of God, look, that's easy for me to see. I do all kinds of foolish things. That's why I need a wise man. That's why I need wise men that I can seek counsel and advice from. That can speak into my life when I'm acting foolishly and, and, and being open and transparent, marching with other men. Look at Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Uh, life is full of peaks and valleys, highs and lows, the ebb and flow uh, of life. And those burdens, when they're shared, they're half the load. So my mom always used to say, a burden shared is half the load. Who's walking with you? Who's somebody that will shoulder and that will get up under that, that, that burden and that, that heavy load, Sam, that will bend down and put that on their back too because they love you and they care about you and they're walking with you, marching together in formation. Church family, get in a Bible fellowship class. Get in a small group. You were built to do life with others Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. When we're open and transparent with one another, uh, our temptations that we have, they're, same, they're the same temptations that other men, other women struggle with. And being able uh, to talk about that authentically in community will challenge, will challenge and will bolden, will strengthen your fight against temptation, marching with godly men and women 
who will love you unconditionally, who will love you enough to ask you tough questions. I know as a young minister here on staff, I sought out Neil Jeffrey. Many of you know Neil Jeffrey. He's just an incredible man of God, a great preacher of God's word. But, but Neil Jeffrey is one of the best fathers I think I've ever met in my life. I want to be more like Neil Jeffrey as a dad. I want to love my children with the love of Christ that Jesus is manifested. But like, I see it in other men. I got, we got a guy, Ron Kelly, that runs our Prestonwood Foundation. Uh, when I have financial questions, or I have questions about uh, issues that I'm facing that I don't understand financially, I go to Ron Kelly and I say, Ron, here's what, I, here's what I'm thinking. Tell me where I'm wrong. Tell me what looks good to you. Seeking counsel, being open and transparent, marching in formation with others. And again, it doesn't happen uh, passively. Uh, you've got to seek it out. You've got to ask for it. So number one, we got to memorize God's word. Number two, we got to march in formation. And then the last application point, as we're fighting this battle together in temptation, is make a joyful noise. Make a joyful noise. Uh, this is good news for all of us like myself, who will never sing on the praise team, Caleb, who will never don a choir robe, and the choir looked amazing. Didn't the choir look great today? Let's give the choir a quick hand. <laughs> choir did amazing. Y'all had that incredible English-Spanish smash-up going. I thought that worship. We should just have Spanish heritage, if not every week, once a month. Let's just you and I decide that. We can tell Pastor we're doing about it, do it about it later. But just Spanish heritage, smash-up, English-Spanish worship once a month. Um, just pouring out, making a joyful noise, just pouring your heart out to Jesus. Listen, Satan's ultimate weapon, his silver bullet, is discouragement. It's discouragement. Psalm 59, 16, the psalmist says, I will sing of your strength in the morning. I will sing of your love, for you're my fortress, my refuge in times of trouble. Worshiping, singing music can be a weapon that we fight temptation with. The devil hates it when we sing worship to our Heavenly Father. He hates it. And singing Music, it touches our heart and our soul at a level deeper than words. In Acts 16, 25, uh, look at Paul and Silas. They were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. About midnight in a prison cell, definitely dark and discouraging. What did Paul and Silas choose to do? They sang hymns to their heavenly Father. And then one amazing, amazing passage over in 2 Chronicles 20. 21 and 22. It's going to be on the screen. Read it along with me. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army, saying, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. And as they began to sing and praise the Lord, as they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Sire who were invading Judah and they were defeated. So in verse 17, uh, Joseph was told to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. He was in a bad place. They were losing the battle. The odds were against the men of Judah. And so Jehoshaphat, in a move, a stroke of brilliance, he takes the trained temple singers, first appointed by King David, who across generations had led God's people in worship. Jehoshaphat says, look, now go and lead the armies of God 
into battle. And what does the Lord do? He wipes out the Ammonites and the Moabites. Is that not amazing? They're out front singing. He takes the singers and he has them lead them into battle and God wipes out his enemies. Martin Luther said music is a gift from God. It drives away the devil and brings joy. Next, after theology, I give music the highest praise and the greatest honor. Make a joyful noise. Martin Luther wrote over 500 hymns. Mighty Fortress is our God. He loved to worship and sing. And it drove away the devil, Luther said. So my question, church family, this morning, and all of you watching online, Anybody listening to this message, here's my question. Do you believe worship and singing drives the devil away? Yes. I do. I do. Because here's the truth of the matter. The devil hates our music and our worship because it rouses our souls. It lifts our hearts. It restores our faith. It builds our confidence. It lifts up the name of the Lord like a mighty banner. That's what worship does. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. Glory to God. Think about it. When was the last time you were in a battle with temptation or you were facing a hard and a difficult trial? That's what temptation really means. They're trials. That's what it is in the Greek word. It's just a, a trial, a temptation, a hard point. And you started singing Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was blind, but now I'm found. Start singing about the amazing grace of God. You start singing hymns, holy, holy, holy. We sang it earlier in Christ alone. One of my favorites of all time, uh, when I first started walking with the Lord, a popular little um, Praise chorus, open the eyes of my heart. I love that one. If you remember this, don't leave me alone up here, a cappella. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you what? High and lifted up, shining in the light of your glory. Lord, pour out your power and love. As we sing, holy, God, you guys are so much better than me. Open the eyes of my heart. How about this one? What can wash away my sin but the blood of Jesus? What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. I sing this one to my kids regularly. Listen, I'm telling you, when you're in a, in a moment where you feel vulnerable and you think you're going to fall and temptation, sin is crouching at its door, would you start singing praise to your God? Make a joyful noise. Lord, this is the one I sing. Ja every one of them, Jackson, Julia, Audrey. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true, and with thanksgiving, I'll be a living sanctuary. 
What chance does Satan have when I'm saying, make me a living sanctuary. Dwell in me. Take my life. Fill me with your spirit. Dodson, he don't have a chance. He's got to flee. He's got to go. You won't go down that path. You won't take that road. He's got to flee. He can't stand in the face of our worship and our joyful noise. And I'll leave you with this final statement in closing. You can overcome any temptation as you walk by faith. In Christ, you can overcome any temptation as you walk by faith. Peter was the only disciple who walked on water. How did he do it? Kept his eyes on Jesus by faith. He walked by faith out on that water. He has eyes on Jesus. When did he fall? Took his eyes off Jesus. He looked down. He started looking around the wind and the waves, and he got scared. And he fell, and Jesus reached down and grabbed his hand. It's a faith walk. In Christ, you can overcome any temptation as you walk by faith. Temptation's everywhere. You can expect it, you can escape it, and you can endure it, church family, but keep your eyes on Jesus. And by faith, you memorize God's word, you march with others, and you make a joyful noise. The last song, and I know we've started to get some music going in here, but this one is one that for my church, I mean, for my family, I've heard it so many times, the How Great Is Our God? One of the hardest, difficult trials in our, our family's life, my son Jackson had an accident. And um, he was coming home from the hospital, had a patch and all this stuff on his eyes. And this is when this song was big. And, and I was tempted to, to just, there was just so much anger and, and, and sadness. And I couldn't take my son's place. And I wanted to feel that. I wanted the pain that he was having to go through. And, and this song comes up on the radio. And as sure as I'm sitting here, my wife and I, Holly, we look in the back and there's little Jackson's hand raised up in the air. And he says, how great is our God. Sing with me, how great is our God. And all will see how great and how great is our God. One more time. How great is our God. Sing with me how great is our God. And all will see how great and how great is our God.